Just before we get started, the Second Act Podcast would like to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on Treaty 7 land inhabited by the Blackfoot Nations. This includes the Siksika, Pikani, and Kainai. We would also like to acknowledge the Sutsina and Stony Nakoda First Nations, as well as the Métis Nations and all people who make their home on Treaty 7 land in southern Alberta. But now that we've paid respects to people that were here before us, let's start the pod. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Second Act Podcast, and today's guest is Aaron Magoo. Magoo is an interesting fella. Uh, known him for 100,000 million years. Um, great dude. Watched him grow up. He's a few years younger than me, and and he was he was always kind of a little bit different than the rest of us. We all kind of did our own thing, worked with our hands, and, and he, like he says in, in the interview, his first job, other than refereeing hockey, was uh was a server at the venice house over in nipple and saskatchewan well the rest of us were working you know for farmers and stuff he he went into hospitality that's what he wanted to do so it was really no surprise a number of years later when uh when he started up a bar in victoria yeah and um aaron was reached out to by a co-worker of sorts a partner and was offered the opportunity to start this bar and he took the kind of the blind leap of faith and it worked out for him. And those are the stories that we really want to push here is that you got to take that leap of faith or you'll just be stuck doing whatever it is you're currently doing. That's right. And I think his his kind of story of 16 years of not knowing and, and building that business and that bar up, you know, it, it, everyone knows it's an incredibly uh, fickle beast to the point where he's ready to try something good little robot where he's he's doing this marketing and intelligence gathering and and trying to, you know, spread his wings and use his connections and, and what he's learned to help other people who may not have the time, money, or inclination to to understand what goes into those kind of, uh, you know, strategic business solutions, I guess, um, is just an incredible opportunity to sit down with, with somebody that we've known for so long and uh, hear his side of it, what goes into it. Yeah, it was a really good pod, and uh, I don't think I've ever met Aaron in person, but I've definitely heard you talk about him. And so it's just, it was a really good pod. I enjoyed it. Uh, so without further ado, here is Aaron Magoo. Hey, thanks for having me, Gord. It's a lot of fun to sit down and talk to somebody that I do have a, a you know, a, a extended relationship with um, that also fits the bill of, of the show. Um, you've done a lot of, a lot of neat things in your career uh, as uh, as a bar owner and, and, and in the hospitality business. Um, but uh, when you reached out and said you had some stuff that might be a fit on the go, I was really intrigued and I'm anxious to sit down and chat. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm not just a businessman. I'm also a frequent listener. So I don't know how often that happens for your podcast. I don't know if Brad Wall's tuning in every week. I, I would like to think that Brad's at least uh, tuned in once or twice and, um, and maybe he'll pass my uh, constant or near constant overtures to his son to appear. Maybe he'd pass those along to Coulter if, uh, if Brad, you if go. you're listening. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's it's a lot of fun to sit down and talk about kind of um, you know your career as a as a business owner and entrepreneur uh, in the hospitality business because I remember when you know we were all much younger and uh, and had fuller heads of hair. Um, you know, you were you were working in the hospitality business and and the idea of of having a 22 or four year old buddy who's a bartender uh, pretty much starts and ends with, is he going to get me free drinks and does he know the waitress? And um, you stuck with it for all these years. And there's really a plethora of things that uh, that you can branch off of once you're kind of in that business and 
and you start to get to know people and how how that kind of works in the background. And here you are all these years later after, you know, running a successful comedy club in Victoria for, for 16 plus years, um, you're, you're starting to reach out and, and maybe explore some of those avenues. Yeah, very little of it is on purpose. Like I, we both grew up in Care River and I got my start at uh, Venice House in Nippon because I applied on an ad and they hired me because I was the only boy who'd ever applied. And then uh, on my first lunch shift, I made $22 in tips. And back then when minimum wage was $7, it felt like a million. And then I went to university to get a degree, degree in business and I bartended the whole way through. And then um, I was working at a franchise pub and I graduated and they were like, hey, do you want to start managing? And then I did that because it was the easiest thing to do. And then every day after work, I would talk with my coworkers about one day owning a bar and those kinds of things. And then uh, one day my business partner for the last 16 or whatever years was like, hey, I have this opportunity you want to do it with me. And I just said, sure. And then one thing to a led to another. And now I'm 40 years old and it's all I've done. Well, it, you, you kind of uh, zoom through all the really fun and exciting parts there. Um, when you were, you, you were managing and doing other things, but like you said, this was a franchise pub type thing. So there would have been lots of opportunities to look around and see, you know, I'm sure it, there would have been corporately other things that you could have at least envisioned yourself doing. And, and you still decided to take a chance in, on yourself and, uh, and try something on your own. Yeah, I like we bought Hecklers. That's the bar that I own today and have for the last 16 years. We I left that previous, we'll call it Shark Club, that previous franchise place um, in 2005. And it felt like I'd been working for these people forever and that I just finally wanted my own place. In retrospect, it was only a couple of years, but a couple of years seemed like much longer than. And just, yeah, getting the opportunity to work for yourself. And I had had a lot of success like running their bars and I just I thought that I was ready and ready to go and you know we got through but there was a lot of things that I didn't know that I wish I did yeah I, re I still remember um coming out to hecklers a number of years ago and uh and you you were sitting in the corner while the rest of us were talking about how we'd run our own bar and um, you, you kind of let us talk a little bit about all the things that we thought we knew and we were going to have, you know, we weren't going to have wing night. We were going to have whatever cheesesteak night or something. And, and you kind of, you know, let us talk about the things. And then you, you started to, you know, espouse the, the hard earned wisdom. And I mean, this was 15, 10 years ago, 12 years ago. So, I mean, you were still very fairly new at running your own bar. What what are some of those hard-earned lessons that, that you've learned since then that you, you think you can take? I guess so we can talk about what you're what you're doing now in addition to running hecklers and and maybe some of the, the things that you've learned over the years that the that gives you the confidence to try to do something different again. Yeah, there's a myriad of factors for sure that give you the confidence. Like um when we did hecklers. I had had enough money saved up that I got one kick at the can, right? Like it had to work or else not. And in retrospect, I wish that I'd done a bunch more planning before we started. Like a lot of the planning was done on the fly and a lot of the things, 
you just do the same dirty math. You're like, I can buy a 40 of vodka and it'll break down and I'll sell it for $6 and I'll make $5 a drink. And you just, you forget that you have to pay for things like floor mats. And no matter how much planning you do, you miss like three time a year fire inspections and the things that the dollars that you don't see in the amount of planning that you can do. And now I'm 40 and I have a little bit of money. So if I uh, undertake something like this and it doesn't work, oh, well. Right. Right. Like, so, so just, just the lack of risk makes it a lot different. Also, people are going to take a 40 year old a lot more seriously than a 25 year old. I can, I can book meetings. I can approach people who just wouldn't give me the time of the day and all this. So things like that become just easier. Also, I have a proven track record, right? Um, We started sports hub. And if you can remember back in 2007, things like flat screen TVs were pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Our place had flat screens, TVs, and we were ready to go, and we were going to be a sports bar. And part of our first lease, we got we got into a cheap, affordable place without much money down, and we got three months free, and we had a small amount of cash flow, and we're like, we'll use those three months to build up our business. And then we got through that three months, and it was like, oh, no, we have, like, two more months left. We better figure something out. And so we, we did a lot of throwing stuff at the wall. Like uh, we did live music on Fridays. We did stand-up comedy on Saturdays. We did wee bowling tournaments on Sunday. And then what happened was at that time and in that market, there just seemed to be a place for stand-up comedy. And all of our shows were selling out and it became not on purpose, not what we started out to be, but the center of our business. Was, and I mean, that lower mainland has a, a fairly, uh, you know, rich history of of some some pretty good comics over the last fifteen to twenty years, but but the lower mainland and Victoria are two separate places. Was were you seeing uh, that that spark when you started kicking kicking the door open for for comedy nights, or was that something that you know by providing the the avenue for it, you, it kind of fanned the flames? Like I guess it's a chicken and an egg type question. Yeah, it wasn't, though, because this was just a hint before social media. Like, we got in just before people were signing up for Facebook and stuff. So, like, it was the wild, wild west. Like, you would – no one ever went – like, you didn't see stand-up clips across your Facebook and your TikTok and your – like, people would come to these shows and they would lose their mind laughing so hard because they'd really only seen Eddie Murphy before. Right. And the idea that you could just have this down the block from the funniest guy in town had never occurred to them. They thought people were making it up on the spot. They didn't know how bits work. They didn't know. There wasn't uproar about Dave Chappelle's most recent special. It was so much more niche before social media. So there was no Victoria. We were lucky that Vancouver at the time had a couple of comedy clubs and they had an extremely, um, extremely strong scene, perhaps at that time. They probably had the strongest in Canada, maybe North America. But so just a ferry ride away, there was 40 or 50 people who could headline hecklers a year. Which works out well for somebody who needs 40 or 50 headliners a year. Yeah. Then we built hecklers and now then we did some open mics and some of those comedians started other open mics. And so when we were, you know, there was maybe one other comedy show a month. So let's say in 2008 there were five comedy shows a month in victoria and part of this is social media and part of this is the boom of comedy but i bet you there's 45 shows a month in victoria now 
So do you, do you look back on that with a, a little bit of, of pride that, that you were able to provide a, a spot for, to nurture that. So where other people could, could go and watch somebody at hecklers and think, I want to try that. I want to do that. Are you, you know, do you, are you at that yeah. point in your career yet? You can, you can. Look yeah, at that definitely. At there's, there's maybe five or six comedians who like, I remember their first set and I think you've had, I think you had Kevin Banner on. So when he opens up for Bill Burr, I'm just, it's like, he's my son. Right. You know, like I feel that kind of level of pride in his accomplishments, not mine. Yeah. And I mean, Kevin, yeah, he was on, uh, I don't know, a, a couple of months ago and, and what a, I mean, his special um, heavy favorite is still like uh, once a week. I'll when I'm working, I'll just click it on and throw it on there. He's got he's got some incredible bits on there. I was chatting with him back and forth. I I didn't watch it specifically before I had him on, just so that I didn't go like that was awesome and that be you know I wanted to talk to him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but then I watched it and then I had his contact info. Thank you very much. And. Uh, I was like sending him like that was awesome. That was a great bit. I love that. Yeah, yeah, I do that stuff all the time. I love that. So, so you're, you know, a number of years into this uh, owning a comedy club, and and you know, it's it's a couple of different things. You're an entrepreneur. uh, You're working with a business partner. um, You're also you know nurturing this kind of unique new scene as social media, as you talked about. As it you know evolves, you're you're kind of trying to figure out how you're going to fit in and, and maintain your ability to grow your business um and then out of nowhere you you just decide i guess if this uh this covid pandemic comes along and changes everything you're gonna have to figure out how to how to change with it so why don't you talk a little bit about uh the the kind of second act that you're embarking upon right now um with your your marketing uh all-purpose comedy club yeah okay um it, and it it was the pandemic but it was kind of again a myriad of things like I had my second baby and uh, so we have two kids and my wife is pursuing a career now that she's had that and the late nights and not wanting to be to 2 a.m. and creating a job for myself that isn't isn't the same job I've had every day for the last 15 years and that kind of bore this on and then I met uh, Dan Duvall and he was a producer he's a comedian and a producer in town and he was doing some shows and I liked his shows and I was like, why don't you just do those shows at Hecklers? And he's like, yeah, I would love to. And then we started working together and we started looking at different comedy things. Like there are essentially two national brands in Canada. Uh, one of them is Yuck Yucks and one of them is Just for Laughs. And uh, Just for Laughs, like without, I'm not trying to start any fights or anything, but they're they're an American talent agency. Like, if you look at the festival that they booked in Montreal, it is a con- Canadian comedy company that cares about Americans. And then Yuck Yucks is an old school uh, comedy club business that is kind of built before social media. What they have is a list of comics that they can phone and they can book for you. But, like, now that the internet exists, if I want to bo- book Gord Kitely, the comedian, um, I can just go to your website and book you, right? And so a lot of that is lost. And so every comedian is kind of left to, and and I'm sure to some degree we all are, but is to they're responsible for their own career. So there are just really funny people who are good at comedy who weren't getting anywhere because you know they don't know how to edit their own videos and they don't know how to target their own ads and create these events and 
we just saw this as an opportunity to do something with comedy and then we started looking into it um, so you you don't have like a, a specific i guess like you, you just it was very broad and and kind of um, yeah yeah that's un, i don't want to say unfocused but no it's absolutely and 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 we do at the core of our business we've, we've learned some new t tools we work with a software company tradable bits and at the core of our business, we're basically creating a database of all of the people who come to comedy shows and um, creating a database of those people so that we can market to them further. So you buy a ticket through our ticketing website now. In the olden days, you would come to Heckler's, you would laugh, you'd have a good time, and then you'd go home and our transaction is over. Now what we're doing is you come, you buy a ticket through our ticketing website, note your name and email address. Maybe you join our email list and we contact you directly. Maybe you don't. But even if you don't, now what we can do is we can place ads in your Facebook columns so that next time we have a show, we know that you're there. And the people who bought tickets to the last show are still the most likely to buy the next show. And then we are using these tools with with other comedy clubs and other comedy rooms across the country to build one giant database that we all share for marketing purposes and then we're going to use that to create other revenues for comics whether it be uh, specials or streaming facebook for revenue or streaming youtube for revenue or whether it be creating tours across the country um, basically if you're in comedy we can find a way to work with you so you're i i think about you know your original career being a bartender um people look at that and think oh, that, that'd be awesome i i could sling beers and then there's so much that goes in into it to be good at it and then how many people over the years have said oh i could I, i'd love to try running my own bar because i would you know do snooker or whatever they think their little niche thing would be and now you know what i just heard from you sounds a lot like you know google and amazon and how they control the flow of information um and people think it's just that easy you just have to do that it, help me understand you know the the challenges of that because if you're getting people to willingly put their their information in and you're just you know compiling data and, and putting it out kind of where you think it's going to have the most effect on its face it sounds fairly reasonable um why isn't why isn't it everyone doing it and, and what are you guys doing a little differently here that you guys think you're going to have something uh that, that really works for in this case comedians well because we still have to none of it is particularly hard but there's a lot to it um it's it's a lot of running a bar running a it's a lot of small things that you have to do excellently every day right and right. so all of a sudden you have to be a social media expert and you have to be a graphic designer and you still have to do the things like run the food to the tables. You still have to cover for the person who is sick today. You still have to buy insurance for the club. And so what we can do is take this one relatively specialized thing that like it costs a lot of money to pay for a social media expert. But it doesn't cost a lot if 40 of us are splitting it right right so we're getting the level of expertise and we're just able to take this thing that requires scale and kind of descale it for people 
So who's helping you with it? Is it uh, is it something that you're kept within the kind of hecklers ownership group, or or do you have a separate? I guess you mentioned Dan already. Do you have a yeah, separate Dan group du of people? Dan Duval and Megan McGue, my sister. We have started a company that where the three of us are working. We still have the support of the hecklers people. They do some work in the background on things like um, lawyers and accountants, and we use those kinds of same people. And then we work with a software company named Tradable Bits, and they have marketing specialists and people who have been doing events for Live Nation and large-scale events. What's uh, what's the name of the company that um, you and Dan and Megan started? Our company is called Good Little Robot. Good Little Robot. So I guess the you you kind of took the the premise of doing a bunch of little things, you know, repeatedly well every time. And you're, um, you know, in the guise of automating it, good little robot. Yeah, that's the idea. And, you know, like people, people are aware how information gathering happens all the time, but we don't, we want to make sure that our robot is for good. You know, we're not trying to sell anyone's medical information or anything along those lines. No, and I think that's um, part of, part of the challenge that you're going to have with, all the data harvesting that happens both, you know, above board and maybe not as above board. Um, you know, people are, are leery off the start of that. Uh, I know I have a, an email address that I've had for 20 plus years that I don't use anymore, but anytime someone asks me for an email address, that's the one they get, right? Yeah, for sure. And you got to make sure that you're, you know, got some security, uh assurances in place so that when people are asking you about those questions do you guys have you have you had to tackle any of those kind of things head on yet or is are you guys still in the formative stages uh well we have a license with the software company and they've dealt with all of the proper storage of information and so we but we we didn't create that but yes that part is done so the three of you guys sit down and, and understand kind of that there might be a need for this. Like you said, you took some meetings and you you kind of looked for a spot where it might fit. Um, you you got in touch with with the partner software that that can kind of make all this happen. What's the you know what 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 about it made you decide that this is something you're going to do? Was there was there like an aha moment? Was there an event? Was there something that went about it that you said? this is where we can help. This is how we're going to go about doing it. Well, it, it really centered every of the other ideas we had, um, whether it be putting on tours for other people, like if we want to do a national tour for a comic or whether, like you mentioned, we filmed Kevin Banner special at Hecklers. If we want to promote that, it all, the database of all of the comedy fans is a central thing that works for any of these ideas. And so we started with that. And then we spent like this idea started about 18 months ago and we spent the last basically year, year and a half now, just finding our better practices, using the program for hecklers, my pub, using the program for all of Dan Duvall. He's the comedian partner for all his shows, for his, his fan base building. We used it for Snowden comedy tour, which is a tour across the country. They do about 75 dates nationally. And, we used it for all of these things and then this worked and this didn't work and this didn't work and this is good and we've built built from there on how like the better practices and what's going to work and what might not work and 
and that still changes almost week to week. Yeah, I mean, in the grand, and you know this from your 16 years as a as a club owner, um, 18 months is the blink of an eye in in an entrepreneurial uh, timeline, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of this was done kind of as each of our second jobs until kind of recently. Oh, and that was what I was going to ask you. Like you said, Dan Dan's busy doing doing his own thing, and and you know Megan uh, got has a family, and and she's doesn't live where you guys are. So there's there's that as well. What what does that look like for you and 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 your partners, and who's who's picking up the slack on uh, on all that other work that you used to do? Yeah. Um... I have scaled back at the bar um, over the last year. I've hired a manager. Things are better now. We make more money. There's more people to be hired. And uh, so I, I would say I focus about 60% of my time on the good little robust. And that that's ever increasing as, as more and more is taken off my plate at the bar. Um, a lot of Zoom meetings, a lot of meeting with everybody. Doesn't matter who. Uh, most of our clients aren't in Victoria, right? We have, we have four or five in Victoria. And, Vancouver is going to be a big market for us. Toronto is going to be a big market. Ottawa, all of those. Um, so, you know, most of it's digital age. Again, the pandemic. Before all this, none of us knew how to use Zoom. And now my mom knows how to use Zoom. Yeah, well, and I think that's the the wonderful thing. Um, if the pandemic did bring, bring anything worthwhile to our lives, it's that uh, we had all these tools available, but we were never forced to use them and optimize our lives with them. And now we do that. I mean, this podcast is, is a hundred percent born of the fact that I, I could just flip on a Google meet hit record and uh, talk to, you know, people anywhere in the world that have an interesting story. Two years ago, you'd have had to explain to me how to download this app and like, what we're going to do and you know and just now everybody knows how to use zoom right yeah it's a, it's an incredible you know short very short amount of time change in the world to to see how people can communicate and, and share information it's definitely uh one of the perks i suppose um without getting too political about uh about the pandemic and everything that came out of it when you're when you're sitting down at the end of the day and you're you're discussing this it, or, or with your wife or, or thinking about it just, you know, at the end of the day, um, was, was this born out of a, a passion to try something new and try something different? Uh, I don't want to say, you, you know, you beat the bar scene, you, you managed it, but I mean, 16 years in the same location with the same premise, uh, with the same ownership group is probably more than you could have ever had any realistic chance to hope for when you started and and it's like you said it's still going you hired a manager you're doing well so is this like just you deciding that you needed a, a, a different something new to kind of keep it all interesting yeah that that was a super big part of it you know just doing the same job every day and i like building more than i like maintaining and i'm sure that there are still millions of things we can improve at hecklers but you know, it kind of is what it is now, right? Like there's, after a 16th year run, like we will change things and we'll do things, but this is the finished product or as close to it as I can get it, you know? So I lost a lot of the, the joy and the the reason to go to work when it just became doing the same thing every day. And this, I, I'm really energized and 
jazz to be doing something that is new and different and having different things to do every day. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, I haven't seen you this energized and jazzed in a long, long time. It's, it's really shows. Yeah, no, we're, and you know what? Um, we aren't, this is still very new. We're not what we're going to be, but like every day there's some kind of new challenge, a new thing and a different reason to just get up and do something different. Talk about the the challenges and and that a little bit when you're, you know, this is a a new dynamic. The first time it was you and Derek, very hands-on, like you said, it was kind of a sink or swim proposition with Heckler 16 years ago. And this is a little bit different. And now you have a, you know, there's a different partner. One of them is obviously uh, your sister. Describe that dynamic as you guys are building something and and i mean you guys have all been successful doing other things so sometimes there's you know i trust me i know what i'm doing kind of reactions when it's like none of us know what we're doing none of us have done this before yeah there definitely isn't a lot of knowing what we're doing Uh, i don't want to pretend we have uh, expertise um there is i was very fortunate I was very fortunate in hecklers to have Derek as a partner. Um, We worked really, really well together. He is very good at the things I'm not good at. Um, There's a, neither of us have ever had to been like, you should do more work or you should, you're not pulling your weight or anything along those lines that might come up in a normal partnership. So I had known kind of what I want in a partner. And Dan and I had started working together, look, taking these meetings before we officially became a company. We, we worked together for about a year before we officially started this project. And then Megan, you know, she's just my best friend kind of in the world. So I know that we're going to work like she can tell me to F off and I can do the same. And we're not going to hurt each other's feelings and need to sell or anything like that. Well, and I think, you talked about a little bit earlier about, you know, some of the equity that you just have with the world as a 40 year old that you wouldn't have when you're 25. Those conversations are, you know, a little bit easier to broach when you're, you know, you and Dan are sitting down and and you both been successful at kind of your first act. You're trying something different. You both know what works. You you're aware enough to say, these are the things I'm good at. These are the things I'm not. Is there, is there, a way that that can work together. And then, like you say, when you, when you understand that you want to include somebody like your sister and, and have her to come along for the ride, you know, there's, I mean, she's got a family that's relying on her, so it has to work. You're not, you're not going to set her up for something unless you absolutely think she's going to be a fit and she brings the things to the table that you guys need that you and Dan can provide the, the program and, and that she can, because ultimately everybody, this has to be successful for everybody to feel like this was a worthwhile endeavor, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, you, you definitely nailed it there. Like we, um, it's a balance and, and, and at what we did better about this business and, and I don't recommend a bar or a pub or anything to anyone, but the downside of a bar or pub is that it costs quite a bit, very little money to be made. Right. You have to basically do it because you love it and want to do it. And there's no other good reason to do it. Whereas 
40 years later with a, or 20 years later with a business degree and all this wealth of experience, when I'm looking for a new business, I want something with relatively low costs or barriers to entry with huge upside as opposed to the exact opposite. So even as we're doing this with Megan and Dan, the general cost up till now is little more than our time. Right. Right. So if Megan doesn't like it, there's a moment to walk away at any point, really. There's not a lot of commitments. It's a lot of handshake agreements. There's a, everybody knows where everybody's coming from and all the cards are on the table from the beginning. It's, it's such a different take on your career to this point than, than my, you know, my personal, I've worked in oil and gas since I was, you know, 19 years old and it's the opposite. Uh, Nobody particularly wants to be here. There's people that can stomach it. There's people that don't want to be here and then there's liars, but the money's so (laughs) good. You just keep doing it. Right. And I'm fortunate. I've worked my way into a, into a couple of roles where it's, it's not the worst, but um, you know, you, you're very aware that you're kind of at the whim of uh, a bunch of oligarchs all around the world at the, what your commodity price is going to trade at. And that will ultimately eventually decide whether you have a job or not. And it's, it's kind of humbling when you think you're really good at something, but it turns out it's just because oil is $120 a barrel that, that the company you're working for is actually doing any of it. And then you come along and you're like, yeah, well, there never was any money in it, but God, I loved it. And it takes a little bit for me to compute that because it's like, like, you know, there would have been tons of times that I would have just walked away from it because I didn't make any money and I didn't particularly love it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. And and people who get into a restaurant for an investment, it's, I, I don't recommend it. Like you have to be there. You have to love it. You have to want to do that end of it or there's better ways to not make any money. Well, it's just to see, you know, how with, with these baking shows and stuff like that, like people come out and they're like, they were on the next chef or whatever they are. And they want to, you know, they move back to their, they come back from that to their little town, Red Deer, Lethbridge, whatever. And they're going to start a restaurant. And oftentimes before they can even get the space built to what they want to do, the shine from their TV appearance is gone. And they're just another person trying to run a pastry shop. And you're not going to compete with the one that's been down the road for 60 years. And everyone's grandma goes there to get their croissants on the weekend. And you're out of business. Or you, you will know compete. Or you will compete. Like what that like when we started the bar, I used to say, ah, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. No big deal. We'll try something else. But there's this whole middle ground where it kind of works a little bit. Like where you're not quite like you could get a job somewhere else for more money, but you're not failing. But it's a lot of work. And then every day you have to convince yourself, all right, I'm gonna keep doing this one more day. Right. Right. And then there's a tipping point where now you own a successful bar and people are coming automatically. And now it makes enough money that you can hire a manager and a cleaner and a bookkeeper. And you're not the jack of all trades. And now you can build your own schedule and you have some flexibility as an entrepreneur. But it takes just so long to get there. Like any any day in the first five years, six years, seven years, I'd have left for my money back. Right. Right. And then, and then you hit a point where everything changes and now it's a good job and, but it, it, it really took a long time to get there. 
well, and at the age you're talking about, you, you got through all that and then all of a sudden you were like, you know, newly married and having a family, starting a family and like, yeah, the business is going good, but do you particularly want to be at the business until three o'clock every morning? Because that's still what's required of it to keep that place up and running in the manner that you're on the trajectory of. Yeah. Yeah. Even as simple as it during the pandemic in British Columbia, bars had to close at 10. So I went from being a guy who went to bed at like 3 a.m. every day forever to going to bed at 1030. And then the pandemic ended and I, I couldn't go back. I'm just too old now. Oh, man, that's uh, that. Hey, that's the part about the pandemic that nobody uh, nobody knows about. Nobody doesn't get enough shine is these bartenders that had to start going to bed at a normal time again. The being a regular person, the having that life. So this, this, I mean, you've lived this all once already, you know, the entrepreneurial life and the spirit. And and you talk about how at this point, um, you're you're not playing with house money, but you're not getting the rent money either on this, maybe like you were at one point. But but still every time you're doing this, um, there, there's a there's an element of of mental health that goes into all these com- these conversations these decisions um you know you you were on a track where you could have just kept doing it and things would have been good and and now you've taken another leap what what is that like for you how do you manage that when when the, when it goes good it's it's probably easy easier but on the days when you just don't know what do you what are some of your tips and tricks to keep yourself upright through those times well, I like the idea of pursuing anything like this as the secondary, right? Like you're doing this with your podcast. This podcast isn't your job, right? This this business isn't my, like I still get paid enough to pay the mortgage and feed my family and stuff through the bar, right? Like if this, so that stress is gone. There were days in the old days with the bar where I know payrolls on Monday and if we have a bad Saturday, it's real trouble. Like that stuff is different about this there isn't the inherent risk that way it's it's just ego stuff now like i want to fail or i want to succeed so that i succeed as opposed to fail right and it's it's just driven by wanting to do well more than it is by necessarily finances and those kinds of things i i kind of find i accidentally found myself in this spot where like we didn't set out to do comedy but I watched every headliner in the country do their best hour for like 16 years. And then I became an expert in comedy, but at the same time, there's a few of those in the country, but none of them also like serve tables and wash dishes and called windows. So I, I find myself in this position where I'm the only expert at both of these things. And so now it's just trying to capitalize on this one thing I happen to be good at. Well, don't sell yourself short. You're you're great at a, a multitude of things. This just happens to be maybe oh. the most marketable. Oh, I guess maybe I don't know. Maybe fantasy baseball. I'm pretty good at. Other than that, I like, have like three things. Three things. Well, it's one of those fantasy baseball. That's a that's a pretty good one too. Yeah, so the go. the way we like to wrap up at the end, and then we're you know 40, 45 minutes deep here. Um, I like to ask people that are embarking on a second act or doing something a little bit different than they started out doing about, you know, what, what they originally envisioned success looking like to them and, and kind of what, what success looks like to them now. And, and maybe talk a little bit about how those visions have changed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I started, 
I was doing a really good job running corporate pubs. They were making millions of dollars a year, and I got into my own pub specifically for money. That was it. I wanted to get as rich as I could, as fast as I could. And at 24, 25, owning my own pub seemed like the fastest way. Um, when I start this job, I want to do something that is rewarding in a different way. I like helping creators get their product across. I like building a company with my friends and my sister and that engagement. Of course, I would still like to make money. Um, but that is a smaller part of the equation than it was when I started 16 years ago, right? Like we're, we're going to have to pay rent, but if, if this, if this never makes more money than it does today, but we're able to help Kevin Banner launch his album and, uh, make a tour for my friends across the country or help other comedy clubs succeed and build something that is really lasting across the country. And then those kind of bigger legacy projects are interesting to me in a way that like necessarily making as much money as fast as we can isn't the second act podcast would like to thank ben sound for the intro and outro music happy rock we would also like to thank you for listening if you enjoyed the podcast please like subscribe and give us any feedback you can thanks for listening